Turn in your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Romans 8, chapter 28. If you are new to the Bible, you can find a table of contents in one of the first pages, and you can find the page number for Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Let's pray and ask God to move to us as we study this text. God, we do come to you once again as a community, turning our faces towards you, utterly reliant and dependent on you. Um, as we enter this time of teaching, as we look into the scriptures, we all know how easy it is to read the Bible, to listen to a message, and, and really get nothing out of it. And that's simply because we are, we are distracted by our flesh. We are uh, self-reliant, relying on our own wisdom. God, we need you this morning to speak to us. We need you to uh, awaken us to the truth that we're about to read. And as we look at various verses from the Bible this morning, we ask that you bring it all together in our minds, and that you take this common word that's going out and speak individually to each person sitting here. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please look with me at Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Now, that is the promise. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Look at the next line. For those who are, everybody say that next word, called according to his purpose. So there's the promise that we have. Whatever uh, suffering you are currently facing right now. The challenges that you have been through over the last week, all things, everything, works together for good. Friends, think right now, in your hearts, in your minds, what suffering, what situation are you facing? Listen, all things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to His purpose. That is the promise that we receive here. Everything is part of God's secret plan in making you more like Jesus. Now the question that we're asking this morning is this, as we study this text once again, who are the called? Because this is actually addressed to a group of people. All things work together for good to them who are called according to his purpose. Who are the called? Who is this addressed address to? Now, as we look at these verses, verse 29 and 30 give us the answer. So this is why Paul gives us this unbreakable chain that we see in the next two verses to show us who the called are. It says, for those who he foreknew, he also predestined to become like Jesus, in order that they, that, that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brothers, and those who he predestined, that he called. 
So the called then are these people who are part of this unbreakable chain, and for the called, all things work together for good. Now, John Gill, old theologian, a couple hundred years ago, he said that we have to understand this. The calling here from God that, that we have is not specifically a calling to a life of suffering. Now, remember, all of this is framed in suffering. Look at, look at the chapter earlier on, verse 18, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing. They're entering into a time of persecution in the church in Rome. For the creation, verse 20, was subject to futility, verse 23, not only the creation, but we ourselves are subject to futility. So we are in a world of brokenness, in a world of suffering, as we see creation decay, as we see old buildings decay, we look at ourselves in the mirror. And every day I see decay, right? We decay. We are in a world of suffering and we are subject to it. Now, what John Gill says is, this isn't just simply a calling to suffering because everybody suffers. So Christians suffer, non-Christians suffer. We are all subject in this world to brokenness, things not working out, dreams failing, and decay all around us. We are all subject to suffering. What we are called to, John Gill says, is a certain kind of patience in the midst of suffering. A, a broader understanding of what God is actually doing in our lives through the suffering. We're actually called to realize that God is using the suffering. The suffering becomes the very stuff, the tools that he used to make us more like so that is the summary of kind of where we've been over the last couple of weeks and where we are continuing to go and where we're diving in today is what this means that God calls. Those who he calls, he justifies. All things work together for those who he has called. What does it mean that God calls? So let me just state my goal for this sermon. What I want to do is I want to understand the calling of God. So from like a doctrinal perspective, what it means that God calls you or has called you. I want to understand that. And then what I want to do is sort of, and also this, in the same vein of like sending people out, we're making disciples, we're evangelizing, sending people elsewhere to do the same thing, to preach the gospel. I want to explore and examine how this doctrine of God's calling gives us great boldness in sharing the gospel with us. So that's where we're going today. Everybody tracking with it? The doctrine of God's calling and then how it relates to us as we personally share the good, the good news of Jesus with other people. So first let's study the doctrine of God's calling. And uh, what we're doing, uh, if, you, if you're new here today, we usually take chunks of scripture and work through them. Today what we're doing is we're taking one word, called. And we're looking elsewhere in the Bible to have an understanding of what that one word, called, means so that we can fully understand this unbreakable chain of God's love. Cool? So here we go. Uh, three truths that we're going to study that I want to give you. Three, we can call them earth-shattering truths of God's the doctrine of God's calling us. The first one is this. It's a call that actually works. 
So when we see called here, it's referring to a call that actually works. Those who he called, he justified, and those who he justified, he glorified. A few weeks ago, I was watching one of our intern's three-year-old nephew for a few minutes, and he was at my house with me. And I wanted to sort of brag to my wife at how awesome I was at teaching children stuff. And so what we do with our daughter, and so this is what I was teaching this little three-year-old, was, was when I say freeze, that means stop. Alright, so like to keep him from running into the road, in front of Hunter, like I might lose an intern if that happens. Um, I say freeze and he stops, okay? So I caught him and he was doing it. So now I went to show my wife, I was like, watch. Like I've had him for three minutes. Watch how I can train a three-year-old. And I say, catch him. Go run. So he starts booking it down the sidewalk. And this kid is fast. He's like this big. And he's like, ah. And I'm like, catch it, freeze! And he's like, ah! I'm like, freeze! Like, ah! And I say to him, freeze! And like, this, by this time, he's nearing the end of the block. And so I give up trying to impress my wife with my amazing child training skills, and I just run after him uh, to save my intern from problems with the mama. And uh, it didn't work. So as humans, all right, so those of you who have children, we know that our, our calls don't always achieve the desired response. The, the spook news, The Onion, if you ever read that. The Onion, it's kind of a funny news source, all right? They, they said that uh, it's been discovered that 80% of pay phone calls begin with, please don't hang up. And it ends with excessive weeping. Meaning like, literally, like in life, we, we request things of others, we call others to certain types of action, and what we just know is something new. Our calls don't actually always achieve the desired response. In contrast to that, the call that we see here, God's call to us, it's, it's a call which always achieves the desired response. So, I mean, it's a call that always works. The old theological word is effectual or effective. It's an effective call. Now how do we know that it's a call that always works? Look at the verse. Verse 30. Those whom he predestined, he called. And look at it. All of those he, all of those he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What that's saying is this. Everybody that he has called are eventually justified and then glorified. So there's nobody that God calls who doesn't make it to the end. There's nobody that he calls whom he loses. Listen, this should come as immense comfort to those of us who struggle at times with our faith. God has called none of us who he will not eventually glorify. Every single one of us who God has called will eventually be glorified. We will be made new like the, the most beautiful, uh, crazy, like God thing that's happened inside of you will eventually be the norm for you. You will be transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Everyone who he has called, it's a call that actually works. 
this should come as great hope for those of us who struggle, who doubt, who are discouraged, who wonder if we have a faith that is strong enough to get us to the end. For those of us who daily struggle with sexual temptations of all types, and we just wonder if we're going to be able to do it. Friends, all calls will be glorified. It is a call which actually works and brings about the desired response that God wants. Now what this also means is this. Is we love God because he first called us. We love God. Our, 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 our affections are set on God. We desire God because he first called us. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher of the 19th century, he, reflecting on his own conversion, was, he was sitting, sitting in a church as a young man and heard the preacher preach the gospel and he looked right at young Spurgeon and he said, young man, look to Christ. And tears running down his face, there he was, the young man, believing the gospel, begging God for mercy. The reflection of that later in life, Spurgeon said, why was it at that moment that I called out to God? Why was it not in that moment that I believed? That my heart was, was changed? Because I had heard the gospel many times before that, and it never brought about a kind of response. The call to believe in Jesus came many times, and I never listened to it or cared. But for some reason, something happened. Friends, what he experienced is this. The call of God. God's call came to him, and the scales fell from his eyes. I once heard Pastor Tim Keller give an example of uh, an illustration of, of, of how this works. He said, imagine you are part of a group of people, and you're, you're all blindfolded, and you're all heading toward a furnace, all right? A big, hot, fiery furnace. And the call comes, hey, you're moving toward fire. So why don't you stop and turn another direction, all right? Turn, like, turn away from the direction that you're currently on. And you're blindfolded, and your response is, is no, we're not moving toward fire. It's getting warmer. We're heading toward the beach. The, the, this effective call of God is this moment in which the blindfolds come up. And you all of a sudden see the wide road that you have been on, the easy path that leads toward only destruction. You see it. You see the reality of sin, the reality of the holiness of God, the beauty of Christ and His forgiveness offered to us through the cross, the victorious resurrection. You see it and you respond. That is the call of God when the scales fall. When the blindfolds come off of your eyes. Number two, it's a call that raises the dead. Alright? So it's a call that actually works, and then this is what it does. It's a call that raises the dead. First Peter chapter one, verse three. It says this Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. Look at these words. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from 
the dead. Now, if we are born again, if we're reborn, that means that there has to be some kind of death. So there's something new. There's a new birth that's taking place, a new resurrection. We are standing again. We are reborn. And it says here that that is the work of God. It says that he has caused us to stand again, to be born again, to come alive. Peter, in his letter, he, he caps the letter with this concept, this calling of God which comes and restores and renews and does something in First Peter chapter 5, verse 10, says this, that the God of all grace, who has called you into his eternal, or to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish. So the God who had called you, there's that word called, he's gone out, he himself will restore you, conform you, strengthen you, and establish you. Throughout the Gospels, we see literal pictures of this effective call of Jesus going out and rising, raising the dead. Those spiritually dead, those lost, I think of Matthew, the tax collector. Zacchaeus, another tax collector. Remember him, the wee little man, by the sycamore tree? The call, literally, the call from Jesus goes out to these men. Alright? Tax collectors, this is, these are the wicked of their day, this, the, the scum of their day, the problem with society, those who are lost and spiritually dead, they're eating with the pigs, they're crooks, okay, these are the tax collectors. The word of Jesus, follow me, go with me, I'm going with you, it comes to them and does something in them. It changes them. It transfers them from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. They've been called out of darkness and into a marvelous light. And we see immediate change. Matthew walks away from his job. Zacchaeus, that wee little man, climbs out of the tree and hangs out with Jesus. And then he gives back to everybody that he's stolen from, and then he gives them a little bit more. A lot of bit more. Something changed when they received the call, and their immediate response then was to simply follow Jesus. Now, the Gospels go even deeper than this. It, it shows us a more physical picture. So we see in the Gospels, Jesus not only moving people from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, raising people from the spiritual dead, but to demonstrate that, to picture that, to show that that is true and really happening, he also, at times, raises people from the dead. Just like, wake up, get up, John chapter 11, the story of Lazarus. The word comes to Jesus from Lazarus' sister. Lazarus, they say, the, the person that you love is dying. Sort of like a nudge, nudge, like you love him. Let me remind you of that. And he's dying, so why don't you come and do something? Maybe heal him. It says in John 11, it says, when Jesus heard this, he stayed where he was for two more days. Like, dude just like took his time. I'll be there in a minute. <laughs> takes two days, just chilling out. Finally, he arrives and Lazarus is dead. 
I believe Jesus wanted to teach him something. So he goes to the grave. There in the grave is Lazarus. And Jesus simply says, Lazarus, come out. And with that, life flows back into the body of Lazarus and he gets up and he comes the call of Jesus raises the dead. You were dead. You were dead. A mortician had drained the blood from your body and replaced it with embalming fluid, laid in your Sunday best in a casket, buried in the ground. They had your funeral. You were dead, okay? The call of Jesus came to you. Dead affection, no desire for God, no desire to obey God, no desire to really even believe in God. And the call came to you. And something changed. Something happened. And what happened was he transferred you from the kingdom of darkness to light. He raised you from the dead. Now a question comes at this point. If God does the work, if God raises us from the dead, if his call is that effective, where it's full, we're alive, then what is the need for our response? Like, why must we respond to the gospel? Now, the answer is quite simple. Going back to Lazarus, John chapter 11. The command to Lazarus was Lazarus come out. Now, Lazarus was dead, okay? He could not obey that command. He couldn't do it. Dude was dead. He couldn't come out. So what Jesus did was this. His call to Lazarus come out immediately gave Lazarus life and now the ability to be obedient to Christ and to come out. What Jesus did was he woke him up. And then Lazarus, responding in faith and obedience, gets up and walks out obedient to Christ. Now if I died, and I was put in a casket and buried, and then I woke up, first thing on my mind would be, how can I get out of this casket? Because why would a dead, or why would, why would someone who's now alive want to continue living like a dead person? So the very resurrection, the life that he gives us, what it does is it causes us to say, I'm getting out of this grave. I'm no longer a dead person, and I will be obedient to the command of Christ, because now I have the ability to do so. This is conversion, friends. This, this link, the first link, those who he foreknow, look at it right there in verse 29, the first link. He those, everyone who he foreknew, everyone who he foreloved, everybody that he set his affections upon, every single one of them, secondly, he predestined them to become like Jesus. And everybody that he predestined to become like Jesus, thirdly, he called. Now this is the, this word, called, or this link, if you would, is the moment in which God begins to interact with the human heart. This is what answers the question, how are those who were foreknown, how did they become glorified? How do those who were predestined to become like Jesus, how do they even believe in Jesus? 
I have a desire to be like you. This is it. It's just me. This is when God interacts with the human heart. It's calling. It's calling. It's, it works. It is effective. And it reaches the world. Now, what does this all have to do with evangelism? What does this have to do with sharing the gospel? As Sarah moved to Seattle to stop and over to Redeemer City as Elliot moved to Lebanon, what does this have to do for us in Baltimore, in our neighborhood, where you live? Turn over one page with me, Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Look at verse 13. For everyone, it says, who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For everybody that calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, this is another promise that's parallel, that is said in the same breath, along with this unbreakable chain in chapter 8. Those who he called, he justified, those who he justified, he glorified. And oh, by the way, everybody that calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, if that sounds like a good promise, say yes. Very good promise. What this is saying is this. Every single one of your family members, your aunt, your cousin, your uncle, your brother, your friends, your neighbors, everybody in this city, everybody in a third world country, everybody anywhere, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Now look at the next two verses. Verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they, in whom they have not believed? Good question. They don't believe in Jesus. So how are they going to call on him if they don't believe in Jesus? Look at the next line. And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without somebody preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good News. Listen, guys, this calling of God, this effective call that actually works and raises the dead, it comes through the preaching of the gospel. It comes through the good news of Jesus simply being spoken. I have been growing a garden in my backyard this summer, and I have water pipes in my house that lead to a spigot on the outside of the house. Now the spigot in my hose are broken. How shall I water my plants, you may ask, without a hose? Friends, this is the question that's being asked here. The, the effective call of God that works is the life-giving water that an individual needs. Yet God in his sovereignty, God in his plan for the world, chose us to be the host, to be 
the tool that he would use through which the water would flow. Now think about this. God can do whatever God wants to do. Right? So if God wanted to just simply individually call a person, he could do that. So dude just sitting back on his couch watching Breaking Bad later today. Amen. And God's call just directly comes to him. Repent and believe the good news. God could do that. If he wanted to. Now listen, he doesn't. I mean, this should boggle our minds at this point. The way that God has chosen to channel the, the life-giving water of his calling, his effective calling which raises the dead, the way he does that is through his people sharing the gospel. Through his people speaking the good news. We become the hosts. God, God has chosen in his plan, in his sovereignty, to use us in his redemptive purposes in this world. My mind at this point, whenever I consider this, always goes to the prophet Ezekiel in that valley of Dribal. Ezekiel chapter 37. There God leads this prophet to this valley of dry bones and he asks him a question. He says, Son of man, can these bones live? And Ezekiel says, Sovereign Lord, whom do you know? I would love to have heard the tone of voice in Ezekiel's response. Like, uh, I guess you know if these dry, dusty bones can live again. And then God tells Ezekiel something just fascinating. He says, speak to them. Speak my word to them. Prophesy to them. Tell them to live. And so what Ezekiel does is he speaks then the word of God over this valley of dry and dusty bones. And what he sees before him are bones being now joined together by ligaments, Flesh comes on top of the bone, skin on top of the flesh. The breath of God fills their lungs and they stand an army of men. Now, what did, what power, with what power did Ezekiel raise the dead? But when we read that, it doesn't sort of in our minds lift Ezekiel up as this amazing orator. You know, like, man, like, if I could just speak like that, I would, I would see amazing things happen. Like, so often our mentality is valley of dry bones around us, death decay, spiritual decay around us, and we say, I don't know how to put tendons on bones. I don't know how to put flesh back on the bones. I don't know how to raise people from the dead. Listen, Ezekiel didn't know either. He didn't know, didn't know all of how it was going to work and how this, this this dry and dusty bone was going to live again. Yet in faith, he simply spoke the word of God. And through God's word being spoken, God raised the dead. In no way does this doctrine of God's calling us or calling other individuals in no way does it turn us into lazy Christians. 
Friends, what this does for us is this gives us power in our proclamation of the gospel. It gives, it, it, it gives us something far beyond anything we could ever imagine. The dead being raised. As God said to Paul, as he was in the city of Corinth, he said, God said, there are many people here in this city who are mine. And so Paul then stayed there for a year and a half. Why? Preaching the gospel, knowing that the call of God to raise the dead is going to flow through them. Friends, as we serve, as we minister, is it not possible that God has many? Elliot, wherever you are, in Lebanon, is it not possible that there are hundreds, maybe thousands of people who currently are dead, dry, dusty bones, who, who, who may be foreloved by God, predestined to become like the image of Jesus, who God is going to call into life. Sarah, wherever she is, Seattle, is it possible? Hundreds, maybe thousands of people in Seattle who are foreloved by God and predestined to become like Jesus, who is who are going to be called into life, and who may use you to do some of that. Dustin and Brad and the team in South Baltimore. Is it possible that there are hundreds and thousands of people in that part of this city that God may call into life? and use you as the hose through which his water will flow, and he will raise the dead. Friends, members of the garden, is it possible in our neighborhood, in our city, where you live, in your families, in your neighborhood, is it possible that there are hundreds and thousands of people who have been foreloved by God, predestined to become like Jesus, and all we simply have to do is proclaim the good news of Jesus, and then watch tendons come back on the bones and flesh come and breath fill their lungs and they rise from the dead. Is it possible that God may use us in this home to do a work far beyond our comprehension? Three encouragements for all of us as we seek to be bold and have power in our sharing of the good news. Calling those who God is going to call. Free encouragement, number one, simply pray that God will use you as a host. Pray that God will use you, that the water of his effective calling will flow through you. Number two, build personal relationships with people. Like, you know, like have friends, people in your home for lunch, for dinner, we have a resource, Christianity Explained, take somebody through it, spend six weeks with them, listen, spend precious, valuable, fleeting uh, time, like time that we never have enough of, spend time on speaking, sharing the gospel with the lost. Number three. As you do so, plead with people to repent and believe. Simply, clearly speak the word of God. Clearly speak the good news of Jesus. That, that God is a just and holy and righteous God. 
and that we are sinners, and that God's wrath is upon us. Yet God, in his grace and in his mercy, came into this world. Jesus lived a perfect life on our behalf, died on the cross for the remission, for the forgiveness of our sins, to take our punishment, rose from the dead, victoriously bringing us into life, giving us the hope of life, and he is coming again. And he will rule and reign. How do we enter into this kingdom? How do we enter into this life? We repent of our sins and we believe that. Listen, simply share that. Share the good news. Share the word and watch God move in people's lives. We're reading a book together. Uh, Mark, Mark Dever wrote a book called The Gospel of Personal Evangelism. The congregation, we're reading that currently. He shares a story in there of a man who lived to, to be about 100 years old. And his entire life lived apart from God's grace. Never called on the name of the Lord. Near the end of his life, he reflected on a sermon that he heard 85 years before. And as he reflected on that sermon, the thought of going into eternity, dying under the curse of God, overwhelmed him. And he called out for mercy and he believed the gospel. 85 years after the preacher preached the sermon. That preacher, that moment, ever, with wild imagination, believed that some of the fruit from that sharing of the gospel, some of the bones that were going to be turned back into life, would come 85 years later. Friends, we have no clue what God will do if we speak the word of God. Speak the word. Call people to call on God. And trust that God will call those to himself. Friends, if you are, if you are a Christian, this has been your experience. You've experienced the call of God in your life. Something woke you up. You believe You've been called out of darkness and into a marvelous light, and you've experienced it. If you are not a Christian, you may be experiencing the call just now. You're believing. Why? God is calling you. God is doing, He's remaking you. He's doing something in the call on the name of the Lord, and you will be saved. Three things for all of us. We're just going to close with this. Three, three things that we could do with this, this message. Three, three things we could do with this doctrine of God's calling. Number one, we could simply ignore it. We could go on believing that God doesn't love us. We could go on questioning God's love for us, believing that the cross might not have been enough for us. We could go on believing that our salvation is based on our calling on God. Friends, that only leads us to despair. Like if my salvation is based on my calling on God. Guys, there are days and weeks that go by that I forget to call on God. If it is based on my calling, I am left with despair. Friends, we can believe, we can trust that God has called us. And that his calling is effective. And that all who are called 
make it into this. You can realize that God has called you. That you are part of this unbreakable chain of His love. And in response, the blindfolds have been removed. You have, you have seen the furnace to which you are walking. You now turn. You, you've, seen, you've seen the reality of sin. You've seen your fallenness, your brokenness. You've seen the beauty and the wonder of Christ who came into this world to die for you for the forgiveness of your sins. And you call. You've heard it. You've believed it. You have been called. And all who are called, friends, are justified. And all who are justified are glorified. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this promise that you have given us in Romans 8, 28, and the logic that you have given us that we are working through in verses 29 and 30. Lord, we thank you for, for, for knowing us, loving us before the foundation of the world. We thank you for that, that you have a destiny for us, that we will be made like Jesus, that we will be conformed to his image. And God, we thank you that you have interacted with our hearts. You have removed the blindfolds from us. And we have seen Christ. We have seen you tasted his forgiveness. God, let us rest in Christ. Let us rest in this promise, in this hope that is ours. And God, as we rest, may we go into our homes, into our jobs, into our families, into other cities, and may we become hoses through which the, the life-giving water of your effective calling will flow through. Raise the dead. Jesus Christ.